Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm glad to be having a conversation this hour with Joe Dallas. He uh, has joined the program before uh, several times, and I'm glad to have him back on. He's an author and a conference speaker, an ordained pastoral counselor. He has a biblical counseling ministry for those dealing with sexual and relational problems and their families as well. And today, I know there's lots of uh, problems and concerns about agendas that are being uh, talked about and teached in churches across America. And we're going to dive into that a little bit today. There's uh, the pro-gay church movement. So uh, I don't think there's going to be any uh, concern as far as language or subject content, if you've got younger uh, ears in the room. So uh, Joe, welcome to the show. Bill, it's great being here again. Thank you. Yeah. Am I safe to say we're good with language and there's going to be no real concerns with that? I promise this time I will not tell any dirty jokes. (laughs) All right. I didn't think you would. (laughs) There is certainly lots of uh, heresy that you hear uh, and a lot of concern with messages and theologies that are not biblical that are showing up in churches all over the country, and they're trying to normalize um, and even show a biblical understanding and perspective on gay lifestyles, and it's nowhere in Scripture. No, it's not, Bill, but I think this is part of the uh, ultimate goal. You know, we were kidding earlier about language on your show, uh, and, and uh, of course, it's very important that we be discussing this topic, but in a way, I resent it. I resent that we have to talk even to our children about things that we used to didn't we used to not discuss in polite company even as adults. Right. But now even within the church we have to because as you said these errors even these heresies are spreading and let's be clear on this bill if you practice a sexual sin that is a sin but if you teach that sexual sin is legitimate that's a heresy. I agree. That's not just a moral issue. That is a doctrinal issue. And so this issue of the gay church movement, it is a doctrinal heresy, which speaks to, I think, an ultimate goal. I think that the gay rights movement as a social political movement knew that it would first have to convince the culture that homosexuality is normal. But ultimately, it knew that the last holdout would be the church. I wrote over 30 years ago about gay activists saying if we could only convert the thinking of the church, then there would be no hindrance to our progress in any area, Wow, which is certainly true. I think the ultimate goal is to uh, revise the biblical understanding of, of what is right and good. And at the risk of sounding like I'm conspiracy-oriented, I think that the spiritual dimension to this goes right back to the Garden of Eden. Because if you look, Bill, at the the major um, identity-type movements, especially in the sexual and gender arenas, they are basically about dismantling the first chapter of Genesis, 
about mm-hmm. basically dismantling the idea that there is a God who created us, that there is a definition of marriage which is eternal, that our sex as male or female is divinely assigned, not assigned at birth, assigned centuries before we're born. And that uh, that the life within the womb is really a life within the womb. All of these are basic truths that are now being dismantled. So that, I believe, is what the gay religious movement is all about, is dismantling the biblical concept of what marriage and normal sexuality really are. Mm-hmm. Joe Dallas is my guest. And Joe, I've seen on the Internet several uh, people who call themselves pastors, and they do pastor churches, and some even... M- People that are theologians, they say they're theologians, and they, they try to do a job of letting you know that the the gay lifestyle is in Scripture and it's accepted. And for someone who doesn't understand biblical truth, they can be deceived pretty easily, I think. Well, let me tell you this, Bill. Uh, I understood biblical truth back in 1978 when I was 23 years old. Okay. I'm I'm 68 now. I'm going to save our listeners the math. I can just see some of them starting to count on their fingers. Okay, uh-huh. how old is this dude? Yeah. But uh, no, I. Uh, but if you um, if you want to believe something, you're go and you're not willing to be intellectually honest. You've just decided I I want this to be true. Therefore, it's going to be true. Well, you can talk yourself into believing it's true, and that's even true of the way you read the Bible. I mean, if you want the Bible to say something badly enough, you can choke it until it says what you want it to say. That's how cults get started. That's how heresies get started. Many people feel helpless when it comes to their own sexuality. Um, Many people, and I was one of them, feel like, hey, if this is the way I feel, I'm attracted to the same sex. I didn't ask to feel this way, which is true. I do not believe people who are lesbian or gay asked to feel that way, but they discover they feel that way. And they reach a point of saying, look, I am tired of resisting this. I am going to uh, come to terms with it. But if they have any kind of a Christian background, they have to do something with the Bible. So if they want to find a way to justify what they're doing in light of the Bible, because they still have enough light in them to know the Bible is the Word of God, it's just very inconvenient to me right now. Can I get the Bible to change what it says? Then somebody comes along and says, sure, there is a pro-gay interpretation of the Bible. Here it is. That's very attractive, you know? Oh, yeah. I guess it's kind of like um, uh, errors like name it and claim it. Sure. I mean, you and I could look at that and say, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. But, hey, if you're broke and, and you need money to feed your kids and you're scared to death you're going to be in poverty or out on the street next month and somebody comes along and says, hey, just name it and claim it, have enough faith, that's very attractive, you know? Mm-hmm. Joe, you've been on a pretty interesting journey in your life. And I, I love the passage in 1 Corinthians 6 talks about uh, who you once were. And I know God has taken you through an incredible journey. And now you have this powerful ministry today. But at a younger age, uh, you uh, identified as a gay Christian. How did you reach that point? Well, I was born again when I was 16 years old during the, really at the height of the Jesus movement under uh, the teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, got a good grounding, was even in the ministry early in life. But uh, I still had homosexual temptations and I got tired of resisting them. So I basically decided to give myself permission to do whatever I want. I got very lukewarm, very hardened in my heart. Um, and uh, finally, just uh, through a series of decisions, I gave myself permission to start using porn by the time I was 23, then to start going to adult bookstores, and finally just came out of the closet and said, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. 
I lived that out and basically said, I don't give a rip about Christianity anymore. For about a year, I lived that way. But then I missed the fellowship I had had in the church. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I can't really say I don't want to be a Christian any longer. But I also am not willing to surrender my sexual feelings to God. So what do I do? And that's when somebody said, hey, there's a church in the area that will teach you how you can be openly gay and openly Christian. Wow. Now, to you, Bill, and to most of our listeners, that's going to sound like, oh, come on, who would believe that? But I wanted to believe it. Sure. That made it attractive. I visited the gay church. And I will tell you something interesting. When I walked into that church, I saw a bunch of men and women of all ages who were lifting their hands, singing praise choruses. I heard the choir singing music by Bill and Gloria Gaither, for goodness sakes. Uh, everything about it looked biblical except for the fact that some of the people were same-sex couples holding hands while they sang. And then the pastor got up and started teaching basically the pro-gay interpretation of the Bible. And I thought, this doesn't quite sound right, but I want it to be right. Mm -hmm. So I've decided I'm going to embrace it. And that's when I stepped forward and took communion and said, henceforth, I'm going to call myself a gay Christian. I'm going to live a Christian life as a gay man. I'll be in a monogamous relationship. I'll live responsibly. I'll serve the Lord, and I'll prove to the church that they're all wrong about gays and lesbians. I'm going to be a Christ-centered gay man. That was what I told myself. That's when I joined the gay church. Mm -hmm. Joe, why does this topic get so much oxygen in our culture? I mean, why don't we talk about envy or greed or lying or covetousness? Or why, why this all the time? Well, of course, there are not social political movements organized to legitimize envy or greed or lying or covetousness. That's one reason. Another reason is um, those sins are not what we would call controversial. So on the one hand, I do find among biblical conservatives, and I count myself as one of those, Bill, I think sometimes we make a hierarchy of sins and say that our own lust or our own arrogance doesn't matter, but homosexuality does. But on the other end, the culture, I think, um, has been convinced not only that homosexuality is normal, but that homosexual people have been victimized. Mm -hmm. And that the noble thing to do is to sympathize with the person who's been victimized, and therefore, whatever goals they have politically, you should share. And that's how I think so many people have gotten on the pro-gay bandwagon. And that bill, I think, is one of the key reasons why the month of June is saturated with pro-gay messaging from corporations, from individuals, from athletes, from liberal preachers, from movie stars, from teachers, from psychiatrists, from everybody who's an influencer of any kind, there is this strong sense of, hey, if people are lesbian or gay or transgender, they have been victimized. We need to celebrate them. We need to agree with them. We need to affirm them no matter what. And if you have any moral objection to any of this, you're the villain. And that, that's a crusade that I am afraid American culture has really embraced and, and even incorporated. Mm -hmm. Joe Dallas is my guest. Joe, when I, I don't even have to get in my car. I can walk on foot from where I'm sitting broadcasting this show and find a church that has a big sign that says, everyone's welcome. When you see that, what does that mean to you? Well, it's dishonest because it's presuming that if you don't, affirm homosexuality, you are not welcoming lesbians and gays. Those are two completely different things. And I think it's very manipulative and, like I said, very dishonest. Because there are very few churches, if you think about it, at, at, at which everyone is not welcome. Um, I attend an extremely conservative, theologically-based, uh, doctrinally sound church. 
we would welcome any lesbian or gay or transgender to come. Mm-hmm. So we could say the same thing. Everyone is welcome at our church, but not every behavior is affirmed at our church, which is true of any church, even the most liberal progressive church. There will be certain behaviors they're not going to affirm. And, and why do they get to do that? And those of us who are conservative don't. So it's dishonest to assume if we don't affirm homosexuality, we don't welcome lesbians and gays. We are glad to have anyone attend our church. Now, if somebody wants to become a member of our church, they must be in agreement with our statement of faith and with our basic doctrinal policies. Mm-hmm. That's only fair. That doesn't mean they're not welcome to come. They are. And yep. nobody will criticize them, harass them, put them down, judge them. They'll be welcomed. We will uh, talk to them. We will uh, ask them to come back. We hope they will continue coming and hearing the word. That's great. But if they say we want to be an official part of the church through membership and or leadership, well, anybody, whether they're gay or straight or anything in between, their lives have to be lived in submission to the authority of the Scripture. They have to be disciples who are taking up their crosses and following him and his lordship has to be evidenced in all of their lives. Hey, those aren't just bumper sticker sayings. Mm-hmm. Those are practical realities. So um, I think, again, when churches say everyone is welcome here, they are, um, they are basically saying we are tipping our hats to gays, lesbians, and transgenders. We want you to know if you come here, we will affirm that part of your life. And the churches who don't affirm that part of your life, not even They don't welcome you. Now, that's not true, and it's not honest. Mm-hmm. Joe Dallas is my guest. We're going to continue our study on the gay Christian movement that is all across America. You can learn more about Joe at joedallas.com, just like the city, joedallas.com. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. Welcome to the show. Joe Dallas is my guest. We're talking today about the gay Christian movement. Very interesting uh, discussion uh, with Joe. Uh, Joe, I want to ask you about uh, pro-gay theology. Of course, I've seen plenty of I shouldn't say plenty, but several uh, people who say they're pastors uh, addressing their congregation with what they say in a very convincing way about uh, what Scripture teaches about it, and they're 100% wrong. Yeah, pro-gay theology, I guess, Bill, it's just that. It's um, a, a revision of the biblical references to homosexuality. It basically takes The scriptures, for example, from Leviticus 18 or Leviticus 20 or Romans 1, the different prohibitions against homosexuality, and it revises the meaning of those prohibitions. Uh, So, and and this is an important point, Um, pro-gay theologians don't tend to say the Bible is not the Word of God. They will tend to say, oh yeah, the Bible was inspired by God, but we've just misinterpreted yes. or mistranslated what it says. And that gives a lot more credibility, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. Yeah. Because look, if somebody just said, oh, the Bible, that's just another book like Shakespeare, well, you'd, you'd lose most Christians on that point alone. But when you say to Christians, I'm a theologian, I've got the credentials, 
and I've studied the original Greek, and I've studied the original Hebrew, and I have come to the realization mm-hmm. that we have mistranslated or misinterpreted these scriptures about homosexuals. So uh, basically what they do is take the worst parts of our history. For example, when we legitimized, we, I will say, some of our ancestors legitimized slavery by misinterpreting the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Pro-gay theologians say, oh, you're doing the same thing here. You're doing to homosexuals what some of our ancestors did to African-American slaves centuries ago. So that's basically what pro-gay theology says is we have gotten it wrong when it comes to what the Bible says about homosexuality. This is what it really says. Mm-hmm. Joe, what would you say to parents or grandparents that have kids or grandkids that have come to them saying that the church we go to teaches this perspective on our lifestyle and, and we are feeling very affirmed? Yeah, this this is getting this is getting tougher and tougher for families, Bill, because you know, a few decades ago if uh, a son or a daughter or a grandchild came home and said that they would not have so much support from so many different influences for their position. Mm -hmm. But now those of us who hold the traditional and really the correct biblical view on this issue, we're becoming increasingly, we're becoming a minority within the population. And as a result, um, people who want to embrace pro-gay theology have a lot more reasons to be emboldened uh, in doing that. But what I I think we can do, because it's not hopeless by any means, we can basically say to our kids or our grandkids, okay, I trust you're being intellectually honest, and I will strive to be intellectually honest as well. Let's put aside what your church says. Let's put aside what my church says. Can you and I sit down and look at this document ourselves? No, I like that. Let's use our own intelligence, our own interpretive abilities, and let's look at these verses. Let's look at the original Hebrew. Let's look at the original Greek. Let's go with what the Word itself says more than what my pastor says or what your pastor says. Can we do that? That's Mm -hmm. a good place to start. That's a great place to start. So, Joe, do you have uh, family uh, who are in a gay lifestyle? I don't. Uh, To my knowledge, I'm the only one in my family of all the generations of my family that I know of that has ever dealt with this. Yeah. So when you have family members who are living in that lifestyle and you love them to death um, and would do anything for them, but they still feel that if you're one of those born-again Christians, you're going to look down upon them and you're going to be disapproving and you're going to maybe even snub a little bit or offer that self-righteousness, which is not attractive. Yeah. Try to appeal to their sense of fairness. As in, hey, is it fair to say that because I disagree with you on this part of your life, that I therefore look down on you in general? Is that really a fair way to look at it? Because everybody disagrees with everybody about something. Mm-hmm. There's no way in any relationship we completely approve of everything about any person, not even our own spouse, certainly not our own kids. We don't. So I think it's only fair to point out, look, it isn't fair. It isn't reasonable for you to say 
that because I don't affirm your sexual feelings, your sexual behavior, your sexual identity, I have thereby rejected you. There is so much about you that I like and love and celebrate. Just like there's a lot about me that you probably like and love and celebrate, and I'll bet there are parts of my life you don't approve of either. (laughs) I'm not going to sit here and say Mm -hmm. that you've rejected me because there are parts about of my life that you don't approve of. Why are you going to lay that on me when I wouldn't lay that on you? It's not fair. Mm-hmm. So, Joe, when we talk about this gay theology, can you put that in context of, of Paul's warning to Timothy about the last days being a time of widespread deception? Well, it's the solid evidence of it, isn't it? Yeah. Gosh, Bill... Um, I got to tell you, the first time I heard last day's teaching, it all sounded so futuristic, so far off. I believed it, but (laughs) I thought, gee, I can't imagine what that would be like now. I think it's inevitable. I mean, the the level of deception. I think that this is the a symptom of that, because what Paul told Timothy was basically men would gather to themselves teachers who would say to them what they wanted to hear. Now, let's just land on that for a minute, okay? Mm-hmm. What's one of the commonest things we hear today? Ooh, that triggered me. Oh, that offended me. Oh, I feel hated or put down, or I don't feel safe with what you're saying. I need you to tell me what I want to hear. Mm-hmm. I identify myself this way. I feel this way. And the whole, if, if you really think about it, Bill, the whole LGBTQ political movement is about not just revising our concept of what's normal, but also a uniform agreement so that nobody gets offended. They're basically saying, uh, you must confirm what I am saying and identifying with because of the fact that I feel it. Mm -hmm. Well, for heaven's sake, that's not how you arrive at truth. But that is basically what Paul was talking about when he said people will have itching ears, tell me what I want to hear, or there's going to be hell to pay. Look at the, you know, you've seen the YouTube videos yourself, Bill. What happens when somebody, quote unquote, misgenders someone? Wow. Yeah, you get blasted. What a reaction. Yeah. There's uh, there's no middle ground, is there, Joe? Uh, well, it's becoming more and more of an unreasonable crusade. Well, I really think if you compare what we're seeing today to, say, the French Revolution, when you had one class of people revolting against another class saying, basically, we're going to, first of all, react to the injustice that you've, you've oppressed us with, which, hey, they had a legitimate point there. They were right. Mm-hmm. But then now we are going to tyrannize you to a point where you have to say what we want you to say, celebrate what we want you to celebrate. And those of you who don't, you are the aristocrats. You all must be guillotined. And I think that there's a wow. great fear factor going on here. Look, I, I would bet you the farm that plenty of these people who are supporting uh, corporations, I mean, and politicians, athletes, celebrities, a lot of these people are saying, oh, yes, I'm solidly with the transgender movement and I solidly support Gay Pride Month. If you put them on a lie detector test and ask them if they really do, they wouldn't pass. Interesting. But it's a season of fear. Yeah, it is that. Real deep fear. It is for sure. We're going to take a break, come back more with Joe Dallas. You can learn more about Joe at joedallas.com. When we come back, I'm going to ask him, can you be gay and Christian? Why or why not? That's the topic when we return. Be right back.
Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. We're back with Joe Dallas, my guest today, as we were discussing the gay Christian movement. And Joe, a uh, question I have, and I want to get right back into this because I have a lot I want to cover with you today, is can a person really be gay and Christian? Yeah. Uh, short answer, I believe you can be saved and be wrong. And for that reason alone, it may be possible to be gay and still be saved, but it's a very dangerous place to be. Now, let me back that up biblically, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, the Corinthian church, Bill, the place is a mess, right? I mean, Paul writes to them, and it's, what? Well, I mean, they're getting drunk at communion. They're suing each other. They got a guy in an incestuous relationship, and they're not, and they're celebrating that. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean it's a mess, okay? Um, he calls them very carnal, but he doesn't say, you're not saved. The church is in the book of Revelation. Jesus had John write letters to them. Most of them were not in good shape. And he pointed out to them, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove my candlestick, okay? You're, you're going to be in bad shape. So I believe that you can be saved and be backslidden or carnal or deceived or in rebellion. But you may still be saved. But, this is the big but, you are in a very dangerous place. So when someone says to me, I'm gay and I'm Christian, I've been born again, and I love the Lord, and me and my partner love the Lord together, I'm not going to challenge that. What I'm going to say is, does the fact that you're saved mean that you're right? Because it doesn't. You see what I mean? Yeah, I do. So there's no way that you can be practicing homosexuality and still be within God's will. That is impossible. So if someone says to me, I'm gay, I'm in a gay relationship, and we know we're in God's will. No, you don't. Hmm. You're wrong. But if you say, I'm gay, and I've really been born again, I will say, I'm not going to question your salvation, but let's look at what the Word of God has to say about your life. Whether or not you are on the verge of losing your salvation, whether or not you can lose your salvation— I'll let the Calvinist and the Arminiist, you know, mm-hmm. do that one out. That's an old church debate. But what we can't do is just presume on the grace of God and saying, if I've really been born again, then the way I live doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. It matters very much. And it doesn't matter if you're saying, well, I'm gay, but I've gone to God and I've prayed about it and I feel right about it. I think I have his blessing. That doesn't tell me anything. That's all experiential. Mm-hmm. By the way, Bill, I said all that myself. I uh, really did. Yeah, I figured. So, Joan, would you be uh, walk us through your definitive moment when you realized that you were trying to get Scripture to believe what you wanted it to believe? Well, hey. What you wanted it to say you, is what you were living by, and then you came to yeah. your, your point of clarity. Yeah. Hey, nobody tried harder than me to believe that it's all right with God to be gay and Christian. Okay. I, I did everything I could. I was on staff with the pro-gay church. I taught Bible studies. I preached sermons. I debated on college campuses with Christians. I went the whole nine yards, both as an activist and a staff member of a gay church. But I reached a point where I realized I'm not fully at peace with this. And it was about after maybe six, seven years after I had first come out of the closet, I finally started asking myself the hard questions. And, And Bill, the hard questions boiled down to two big ones. 
am I really within God's will, and does it matter? Not just, am I saved, or does God love me, or whatever, but am I in God's will? And if I'm not in God's will, do I care? Does it matter? And the more I asked myself that, the more I thought, you better really take another look at the Bible, take another look at your life, and ask yourself, do you really believe what you believe, or are you trying to talk yourself into saying you believe what you say you believe? Mm-hmm. And the more I looked at the word, I remember that night very plainly. It was early uh, early January 1984. I um, sat down in my apartment and opened the scripture again. And I, for the first time I, in about six years, I prayed honestly to God. And I said, Lord, if I have been wrong, I am willing to face it. Because until a person gets to that point, man, you're spitting in the wind. You can't unharden somebody's heart. Only mm-hmm. the Spirit of God can do that. And he was convicting me to the point where I was just miserable, I, waking up in the middle of the night with what felt like panic attacks, you know, just feeling like something's wrong here. I looked at the Word. I looked again at what was so clearly spelled out, not just in the prohibitions against homosexuality. You got those in in Leviticus, Romans, First Corinthians, First Timothy, but also the definition of marriage as God intended it, what Jesus said about marriage, and the fact that there was not one positive example in all of Scripture of either a homosexual person or a homosexual relationship. Not one. And that's a very loud, loud silence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I finally had to say, okay, Lord, if I, I, I really believe I have been wrong. And that's when I said, I, I repent. I, I've been wrong. I want to come back to you. I want to come back to you fully and submit this part of my life to you. Where do I go from here? Mm. And it was a very, it was one of the best nights of my life and one of the most devastating because I had to admit, I have built the last six to seven years of my life on a lie. And now I'm going to have to live with that and find a way to live responsibly in the future. That's how it all started for me. Okay. I came back as a prodigal. All right. Fantastic story, Joe Dallas. But when you wake up the next day and you walk out and you're on the street, God has started his transformation in your life. But your feelings, your attractions, they didn't go away overnight, did they? No, no, no. And and something was very clear to me was, too— Two points. Number one, okay, I've got these attractions, and I can't do anything about that, okay? The temptation is there. That's what I told myself. But I don't get permission to give in to it just because it's there, and I don't have permission to pretend it's not there. I'm going to have to be honest this time. Because when I first became a Christian, I wasn't honest with anybody about my sexual feelings. And that's one of the reasons I finally gave in to them. I never brought them to light where they could be prayed over and dealt with. Mm, interesting. So, but, but there was also something else I knew, which was, should be obvious. I had to get out of Dodge, you know? I mean, I lived in the middle of Long Beach, California, which had a thriving gay population. I knew if I don't move, I'm going to fall right back into this stuff. There are just too many areas that are familiar to me. Too much access I have. I need a new start. So I relocated. I started the next morning making plans to relocate to another county, got myself in a different church, did let my friends know. That was very hard, but I had to make sure the ties were either broken or at least I clarified myself. If someone still wanted to be my friend, they would have to know this about me, which is why I obviously lost most of my gay friends Mm -hmm. and then got myself just into a very, very rigid, and I'm glad it was rigid, but I imposed on myself, hey, a minimum of five chapters of the Bible a day. I'm not saying everybody should do that. I needed it. Prayer time every day. Get into fellowship, even though you don't know anybody at the church. Make no excuses, and uh, find a good Christian counselor. So it wasn't 
you know, it's like John the Baptist said, bring forth fruit that's worthy of repentance. You can't just say you repent if you don't act on that repentance. So that's what I had to do. As far as the feelings, Bill, I never tried to make them go away ever. They went away as a result of God's ongoing sanctification. Hmm. But I'm never going to say they could never come back because they could. I mean, I, I think just for example, we talked about Pride Month. I really admire people who go to Pride parades and witness and evangelize. I think that's great. Fine. Um, that's not for me. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't be smart. I wouldn't go evangelize at a gay bar. Right. You know, I just just some common sense things. And if I was really beyond being tempted, that wouldn't be a problem. But I'm not beyond being tempted, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that for me it was such a complete transformation that I could never go there again. There are other people I know who would say that. Good for them. It's just not me. But anybody who is in any kind of recovery from any previous lifestyle, I I, I always say there you got to be careful of playmates and playgrounds. So if you are with familiar people <laughs> and in good. familiar environments, you're putting yourself at huge risk. Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, jokingly, I say there's an 11th commandment, thou shalt not kid to thyself. <laughs> I like that. I mean, really, Bill. Yeah. I, know, I, I know nobody who has a PhD in self-deception like me. But then there's also what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 9.27, pretty important verse where Paul says, I... I keep my body under subjection. I literally, I beat myself up every day like an athlete in training, lest after I've preached Christ to others, I myself become disapproved of by God. Well, holy smoke, if Paul the Apostle said that, I mean, who am I to say anything less? Even he was recognizing I have to watch myself. He wasn't being paranoid. He was being responsible. Mm-hmm. And I think that, it, like you said, if you've had any particular life-dominating sin, just, you know, figure, okay, you, you can repent of the sin, but you know what you can't do? You can't delete the memory banks. That's true. So it can beckon to you again. Be prepared. Yeah. Uh, Joe, I don't know if you know this quote by Richard Feynman. He said, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. Well, I don't appreciate him stealing my quote. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, he said it better than me, so let's go. No, with no, it. but it's it's so <laughs> no, that's incredibly exactly true, right? Though, yeah. And and you know what he's saying about the the capacity for self deception? Wow. Uh, of of course, because you know, uh, like I said, the Bible it can be pretty darn inconvenient. The Word of God, and not to mention the Spirit of God. I've often said I love the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not always crazy about his messaging, but I love the presence, you know. But we have to be willing to admit that truth is not always convenient to us and that there are at times no limits to our ability to um, worm our way around the truth just because it's challenging us in ways we're not ready to be challenged. Mm -hmm. Joe, uh, talk about when you are living in willful disobedience. I mean, you can be ignorant about stuff and li- be living a lifestyle, but if, if you are have a biblical knowledge and you go, I, I am choosing to live in deliberate sin. I know what the Bible teaches about my lifestyle, but I'm, I'm choosing to live in willful disobedience. Uh, talk about that. Man, that's scary. That, yeah. Because something much bigger is happening than the sin you're committing, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I'm exhibit A for that, Bill. When I made that decision, yeah, it was very serious. I got involved in serious, unnatural sexual sin. Okay, yeah, that was bad. But you know what was worse? I developed the pattern of hardening my heart. Sure. 
start that and you are in so much trouble because once you harden your heart, your mind gets darkened, your spiritual sensibilities get calloused, and you lose sight of who you really are. In a way, you know, think about David after he committed that amazing sin with Bathsheba and covered it up with a murder. That guy hardened his heart to the point where when Nathan came and rebuked him, David didn't even see himself. He didn't even realize that the guy that Nathan was talking to him about was him. That's what happens when your heart gets hardened. It's, it's sort of like people who don't realize how out of shape they are because they've learned to look in the mirror without really seeing themselves. Mm-hmm. Very dangerous place to be. Yeah. So a person is born again, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the starting place, but you are you're still going through the sanctification process, and there is occasional rebellion and error and carnality. Um, what? How do you encourage someone who is in that place? Well, you've got to incorporate a lifestyle from day one. As soon as you realize you've been in error, you commit yourself to a different way of living. You know, mm-hmm. I haven't done a lot of smart things in my life, Bill, but by the grace of God, one smart thing I did was I, uh, I committed myself to and I ad- ad- adopted a different way of living, which included regular confession, you know, and, and regular, I hope, regular teachableness. Because if that happens, then even if you do mess up, you're going to bring it to the light. You're going to get some correction, some accountability, some encouragement, some prayer, some grace, and you'll keep moving ahead. You'll be okay. Again, since I talked about physical health, kind of compare it to, say, if somebody eats too much and they've gotten way, way overweight, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, If they don't care, if they're just hardened to that, they're setting themselves up for some serious health problems. If they lose weight, adopt a healthy lifestyle, and then occasionally they binge on something unhealthy, if they get back to the healthy lifestyle, they're going to be okay. That's not the best analogy because I don't think it's necessarily a sin to have a hot fudge sundae, you know, and go off your diet. What size? It's never okay to use porn. Yeah, or to right. sexually fantasize or what have you. Right. But the point is, if your lifestyle is essentially a consistent one of walking in the light, taking up your cross, denying yourself, confessing your sin, you're going to be okay even if you have those occasional blips. That doesn't make the blips all right. I'm not saying that. I no, only am saying if you are continuing on that trajectory, then you can claim what David said. As a father pities his children. So the Lord pities those who fear him. He remembers our frame. He knows we are dust. Keep running the race. Mm-hmm. Joe Dallas is my guest. You can learn more about Joe at joedallas.com. When we come back, I'm going to ask Joe about the church's response to the gay Christian movement. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill. I thought this interview was so good, I wanted you to hear it again. So enjoy. I'm back with Joe Dallas. We're talking about the gay Christian movement today. You can learn more about Joe at joedallas.com. Joe, over the break, I was thinking about you replanting yourself from your community in Long Beach to another county and that is the hand of God working in your life because you're pulling up stakes and removing yourself from friends and familiarity, and that's not the easiest thing to do. No, it was actually very hard, but it would have been harder to stay and try to live uh, 
I agree. Um, in, in a righteous way. But it, it was hard because what was so devastating was I felt like, wow, what now? I mean, who am I now if I'm not gay? And what am I doing now if not, you know, supporting the gay church movement? And mm-hmm. uh, how do I live with all the guilt I feel now? And am I ever going to get married? Am I going to be celibate the rest of my life? Who's going to like me as a friend if they know my background? I mean, it's just, everything was unknown. I, I, At the time, I wasn't sitting there feeling sorry for myself, Bill. I really wasn't. I was a sinner, repentant, and was grateful to be back home. But only now looking back at it, I think, wow, you know, that was pretty tough. I just didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, it would be very tough. All right, Joe, if we can, I'd love to talk about the church's response to this um, movement. Um, what's the best, in light, I mean, in light of all this, what is the best ways for the church to respond? Well, you can't go wrong by determining you are not going to compromise grace or truth. The, the church is being pushed to make a choice between those two. We can't. That's like saying choose between uh, water or air. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't. You're not supposed to. So on the one hand, the progressive church overemphasizes grace. On the other hand, some churches, they you can't overemphasize truth. There's no such thing. But they emphasize truth at the expense of grace. They minimize grace. We have to be robust in our commitment to both, which means basically we don't change our menu, if you want to look at it that way. We serve the Word of God. If you want to come to this restaurant we call the church, welcome. Love to have you here. Have a seat. Here's the menu. Now, you may not like what's on the menu, or some of it you'll like and some you won't like. Probably Mm -hmm. most of it you'll like, but when we get to an area of your life that God puts his finger on, you're not going to like that. Um, We understand We'll be here for you. We love you. We respect you. We, we know you have free will. You can use it. So you will always be welcome here no matter what. Well, provided you aren't interfering, of course, with the order of the service. But, but here's the deal. Um, just because we welcome you doesn't mean we invite you to change our menu. You cannot tell us to stop serving what we serve. Mm-hmm. We are as committed to the menu as we are to our good service. And that's not going to change, okay? Now, we hope you'll try our menu. <laughs> we really do. If you just want to have a glass of water and not eat what we're serving, that's your own business. You can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and we won't hassle you, but we will not let you tell us to change the menu because you don't like what we're serving. Mm-hmm. That's basically what our commitment has got to be. Welcome. Have a seat. We love you. We respect you. We'd love to get to know you. This is what we serve. And, and our invitation is unmovable. And our menu is unalterable. That, I think, is the best response. And that's not just about homosexuality, is it, Bill? That's no. not anything. No. The power of love and, and, and an invitation is so strong. Well, I, I, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about the Jesus movement because of the film that came out earlier this year about Greg Laurie's life. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's great. But I think we need to get, you know, the takeaway from it is look at what Chuck Smith did. Pastor Chuck did not understand hippies. He was a middle-aged former Foursquare pastor, very conservative, very straight-laced. Um, but he opened his door to everyone, to all of them. I was one of those hippies as a kid who went there. It was wonderful. But here's the deal. He welcomed everyone with respect and affection, no matter who they were. Welcome. Welcome. But he served the Word of God. He preached a very plain gospel, and he taught didactically. You would never have left any Calvary Chapel service wondering where they stood. 
So that tells me that love and truth are not mutually exclusive, not at all. You have to have both or else it's not love or truth. And I think that uh, we could do a lot worse than to follow his example from, you know, over 50 years ago because it worked then and it works now. Mm -hmm. Joe, when we talk about the seriousness of this issue, uh, can we be saying that we're just agreeing to disagree? No. Oh, I mean, we can, but we'd be wrong. (laughs) There are some things we can say. Look, I was joking earlier about the Calvinist and the Arminianist, but I I will say this. I don't consider that a primary issue. I mean, I, I, one of us is right. We'll find out when we get to heaven. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's not, can you, nobody's going to break fellowship over that. Somebody's right about the rapture. I mean, it's, it's pre-trib, mid-trib or post-trib. I right. mean, yeah, somebody's um, going to be right. But come on, I, I, I've never even heard of somebody literally breaking fellowship over that because there are secondary issues. This is not one of them. This goes to the very heart of the gospel because, I mean, we were created in God's image and then we were created male and female. Those are two initial qualifiers on the human condition, in God's image and male or female. And um, to mess with that is to mess with the definition of marriage and family. Marriage is a type of God's relationship to his people and Christ's relationship to the church. Uh, to, to attempt to distort that is to basically say, and Bill, this is important, it's to basically say the creator didn't know what he was doing. When we say that the definition of marriage he so plainly put out in Genesis is something other than male and female, and when we say that we may use our sexual parts and express ourselves as we please apart from the covenant of marriage that he assigned and created, then we are saying the Creator was imperfect. We know better. We will do as we please. Mm-hmm. Now, that's some pretty serious stuff there. That's the heresy of Gnosticism, whereby we basically say the Creator was flawed. We intuitively know better, so we will go with our feelings above His Word. Mm. That is why this is an essential. It's not a secondary issue. No, within the Church, we cannot agree to disagree on this. It's too primary. Mm-hmm. Joe, there's a movement out there called Revoice, and I don't know a lot about it. Can you explain what that is and what their 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 mission is? Yes, Bill. The, um, our listeners can look up the Revoice movement. It, um, it's a movement that essentially claims to be orthodox. It says that, look, we are believers who believe in the Word of God, and we do believe in the sanctity of marriage and that homosexual behavior is a sin. We believe all of those things. But since we are attracted to the same sex, we call ourselves gay Christians or lesbian Christians. Hmm. And we identify as gay Christians. We also identify as a sexual minority within the church. If we marry someone of the opposite sex, we call it a mixed orientation marriage because one of us is gay and the other one is straight. If we are celibate but we develop special friendships with one person of the same sex, we call it a spiritual friendship in which we love each other and are devoted to each other but we don't have sex. Now, I think you can see where this is problematic. Oh, yeah. This is over-labeling and basically um, categorizing people according to a sinful desire and using positive terms to do it. By the way, gay is a positive term. When you say you're a gay Christian, you are saying that that aspect of your life then is a positive thing, which is not. And even if you recognize that it's not positive, nothing in Scripture tells us to identify ourselves by sinful tendencies. 
So I believe that in the it, it, perhaps with the best intentions, the intention of being humane, this movement is seeking to teach the church a new way for uh, of of approaching people within the church who have this particular issue, and generally putting them in a special category and labeling them and complying with their request to be labeled in these particular ways. And um, I, as I said, I see nothing in Scripture that commends us in any way identifying ourselves by a sinful tendency or considering ourselves to be a marginalized group within the church because we have those tendencies. So I, uh, just on a personal note, I've also seen that it it does happen when people identify themselves by a sinful tendency. It doesn't take much to bring them to the point where they eventually legitimize the tendency and then legitimize expressing that tendency. And uh, this, I think, is a very slippery slope to be on. Yeah. Totally, totally unbiblical, by the way. Well, everybody is working at trying to feel better about themselves and the decisions and choices they're making. Well, yes, and I guess that the, my question to, or the, my response to that would be, yes, I believe that's pretty common, but is there anything biblical about that? To me, that's the antithesis of the call of a disciple towards self-denial and taking up the cross. In fact, one of the worst things said about anybody is what Paul said about people who he had known in general towards the end of his life when he said, all seek their own, mm-hmm. not the things which are Christ Jesus. Yeah. Joe, this has been a fast hour. Thank you so much for your wisdom and counsel. It's just been a delight having you on. It's always good talking with you, Bill. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Joe Dallas has been my guest. You can learn more about Joe at joedallas.com. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.